So today we begin a new sermon series that will carry us through May for the next six weeks, taking a look at Romans chapter 8, which has been arguably told and set up that it is perhaps the most powerful chapter in all of Scripture, the, the most important, the, uh, where, where the Apostle Paul just takes so many themes and so many ideas and, and builds on them. He begins kind of in the depths. He takes us on this ride of going from the depths to the heights of, of talking about the sin and law and death. And then ends Romans chapter 8 by talking about how we are more than conquerors, how nothing can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. But the reality of what the Apostle Paul understands is that humankind, apart from Jesus, is stuck. We get stuck. So a number of years ago, uh, soon after our family had moved to San Diego, uh, we went to SeaWorld. And it was a great experience, and SeaWorld's just this uh, you know, great place. And, and, and while we were there, our, my daughter and I decided we were going to ride the Journey to Atlantis ride. And if you don't remember that, we've got a picture here of what that ride is to kind of jog your memory of it. And it's kind of a roller coaster with some water features on it. And so we got on this ride, and it starts off pretty quick, going down a little dip here, and people get wet. And the woman sitting in front of us was like, I didn't really like that. And I was like, oh, this this may not be a good thing. At the very first kind of drop that you have, you already aren't enjoying the ride. And so we continued on the ride, and as you may recall if you've been on it, uh, you get to this place where you kind of go in like an elevator sort of uh, contraption, I guess you would say, and it's dark, and, and, and this elevator lifts you up 50 feet or so uh, for, the, for the next water drop. And so we were in this dark uh, elevator, and we get to the top, and, and it kind of pushes you out, and then you're, the, the ride stops right there, and you're, the car you're in stops, and the guy's sitting there and, and looking down and making sure everything is clear. And we sit there for like 30 seconds, and then we sit there for like a minute, and you can see the edge, and you, can know, you know what's coming after that. And, and, and we're there like for like two minutes and nothing happens. And he says, hey, well, you know, while you're here, uh, maybe you can look out and see if you can spot your car in the parking lot. Now, I have to tell you, the woman sitting in front of us was not real happy about that. Then soon after he said that, the intercom came on and said, we are experiencing technical and mechanical difficulties. Please remain calm. Well, that doesn't usually work for people who are already not feeling all that calm. And, and this woman in front of us, and I'm watching my daughter in the midst of all this, who was probably eight or nine years old at the time, she's literally trying to get, she's like, I want off this ride. And she's trying to take the lap bar, which we have a lap bar, and she's trying to push that up, and she can't push it up. And she says, get me off of this ride. And the intercom comes on again and says, we are continuing to have mechanical problems. Please remain calm. And the guy sitting there at the, the top of the ride with us is trying to calm her down, and she just wants out. She is tired of being stuck, unable to move. And eventually what happens is they said, we're going to be sending up a crew, for those of you who are stuck on this ride, to be letting you out of the car so that you can walk down the stairs to the bottom so that you can be released. And I've always wondered, what are all those stairs doing on those roller coaster rides? And now I know, because when you get stuck and they can't get the ride to start functioning again, 
They have to come back up. They have to come up and get you and let you out. The Apostle Paul says that this is what life is like without Jesus. That we are stuck. That we are unable to free ourselves. And so as we begin this series on Romans chapter 8, we want to talk about the help that is given to us. The help that comes from the outside that frees us from sin and death. So we're in Romans chapter 8, and we're going to read the first 11 verses. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, there is now condemna- no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And he so he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, now he's speaking of believers, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Paul says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the letter of Romans is probably written around 55 or 60 AD. It's it's written to a community where Paul had not yet been to, but the church had been flourishing. And Paul is writing uh, in a, to a culture and a context that, that is filled with Platonists and Stoics, um, lots of Jewish believers. The, 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 the Jews of that time, um, were many of them followed this, this pattern of saying you have to be obedient to the law, the way in which you live a life that is pleasing to God is you obey the laws, you obey the commandments. Uh, we think of the Pharisees in this, in this regard. But there was also a strand of apocalyptic Judaism going on while Paul was writing. And, and this drew its understanding from the prophets of the Old Testament, of the Hebrew Scriptures. And it was around this idea that one day God would return, and God would bring his reign and his rule, that God would come with judgment, and he would establish his throne. And the people of Israel and the Jewish people were looking for that to happen. This was apocalyptic Judaism. But what the Apostle Paul does, and we know that he grew up Jewish, and so he understood Judaism really well. He understood the law for sure, because that was the branch that he would have been in. But, But the Apostle Paul comes along and says, look, this apocalyptic idea 
of, of the world coming to an end, of God establishing a new reign, and you all not knowing really when it's going to happen, what you need to understand is that it has already happened. That in the arrival of Jesus, something new has occurred. God has brought his kingdom, and in a sense, he has brought his judgment. God is has brought his reign and his rule. And so Paul, as you read through the Apostle Paul, not just in Romans, but in his other writings, he picks up on this understanding of apocalyptic Judaism, saying that, that what you have been talking about has happened, and that one day the Messiah will return again, fully establishing his kingdom, his rule, and his reign. But as the Apostle Paul teaches, and as he preaches, he lifts up this idea that, that God is Lord of all things. That God is, is over everything. And, and, and this, as we know, is not a new teaching, but the Apostle Paul argues very strongly for the sovereignty and the omnipotence of God. And, and in doing that, he's, he's pushing back against this idea of saying that we control our own destiny. Because this is what humankind has always wanted to do. That ever since the time in Adam, of Adam and Eve, we have pushed back against God. We have pushed back against the rules and regulations and reign of God. We've wanted to live for ourselves but the problem is this. The problem is sin. We see that from the very beginning. And what sin does is it gets us to a place where we're stuck. We are mired in it. We cannot get out of it. We're on top of the journey to Atlantis ride with a lap bar pushed down on us, and we cannot move. And the Apostle Paul says, this is true for all of us. And he says, the problem with sin is until you have Jesus in your life, you cannot do what you really want to do. You, you, you see, the, the issue is this, that when people say, hey, try harder, or do better, or work harder, the reality is that if Jesus is not a part of our lives, that just makes things worse. Paul Ochtemeyer, in his commentary on Romans, I really like what he writes here. And, and, and it's pretty deep, and it's pretty profound, but it gets us to the heart of the issue of what the Apostle Paul was really concerned about. Octomeyer says this, If every action is under the control of sin, then more action will simply mean more sin. If every action, so this is living apart from Jesus. Ethical commands, therefore, are pointless for someone in whom the power of sin has not been broken. Octomeyer is saying is when we are apart from Jesus, when Jesus is not in our lives, when we are not in Jesus, these ethical commands to do better, to, to work harder, to do whatever it is that is the right thing, they only push us further and further into sin because sin dominates our lives in, in that way. Sin and death reign and rule. And that's what the Apostle Paul is, is, is talking about and he's getting to uh, saying, look, when we, when we are just adhering only to the world, we have a real problem. We're stuck. Now, I'll be honest, talking about sin and death 
I mean, that's that's a great way to, to get things started. And, and in our culture, in our society, people don't want to hear about sin. When they hear the word sin, a lot of people think, I'm not a sinner. I'm a good person. I don't hurt people. I try to do the next right thing. I, I take care of the least of these. I'm not a sinner. And so in our culture, in our society, it is very hard to talk about this idea of sin and, and, and get across what we're really talking about. I like how Tim Keller puts it. And he says, look, sometimes we need to focus more on idolatry rather than sin. We need to talk to people about what idolatry is all about because most people think they're pretty good people. We don't need to talk to people about how they're breaking the law or how they're going to experience eternal damnation and all these other sorts of things. Keller says, this is, this is another problem that we have. And that problem is idolatry because we take good things and we make them ultimate things. And this is perhaps the, the problem for, for many of us and for many people who are, who are apart from Jesus is, is they're doing good things. And they make those ultimate things. But the Apostle Paul keeps pushing back on this, saying, Jesus has to be the ultimate thing in our life. The good things, the good that we do, the, 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 um, think about the creation story. God gives Adam and Eve paradise. It is perfection. It was good. And what did they do? They reached for just a little bit more. They didn't think it was enough. And the good, the fruit that they were told not to eat, became the ultimate thing that they had to have. And they lost paradise. Disaster, decay, and dust. All as a result of that. There's this disaster. There's this decaying Ultimately, we return to the dust. The Apostle Paul, when he begins Romans chapter 1, he says this in verse 25. Speaking of, of Adam and Eve, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. They served created things rather than the Creator. This is idolatry. This is what Jesus was so upset with the religious leaders, with the Pharisees, with the teachers of the law, is that they had taken the law, which was good, but they had made it ultimate and said, if you are going to truly be known by God, you must do all of these things. And the law became more important. The obedience to the law became more, more important than the worship of God. And that's the tricky way that sin works in our lives. And so we need help. The Apostle Paul, at the end of Romans chapter 7, right before the text that we read here in Romans chapter 8, says this, starting in, in verse 15 of Romans 7. I do not understand what I do. Now this is Paul talking about life apart from Jesus. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. 
For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Ever feel like this? For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. And that's a tongue twister right there. But Paul's saying, look, sin has this way of pushing us to do things we don't want to do. So I find this law at work, he says in verse 21. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The Apostle Paul is saying, the reality of sin is real. The reality of death is real. And we are stuck without Jesus. We cannot be changed. We cannot be transformed without having Christ in our lives. We cannot experience no condemnation without having Christ in our lives. This is our story and this is our song. We are not fast enough. We are not strong enough. We are not smart enough. We are not wise enough. We need Jesus. We need someone who comes from the outside and sets us free. Tim Keller in The Reason for God puts it like this. Everybody has to live for something. Whatever that something is becomes the Lord of your life. Whatever we live for becomes the Lord of our life, whether you think of it that way or not. And then he says this. Jesus is the only Lord who, if you receive him, will fulfill you completely, and if you fail him, will forgive you eternally. Isn't that good? Jesus is the only Lord who, if you receive him, if you walk through that door, if you recognize him for who he is, he will fulfill you completely, and when you fail him, he will forgive you eternally. This is the beauty of of the Christian faith. This is the Apostle Paul saying, look, you don't have to be enslaved to sin any longer. The final verdict on your life is not death. The final verdict on your life is not guilty. The judge doesn't look at you and say you're guilty. It says, instead, the judge says you have been set free because of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 2 again of our text. We read this. Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. My friends, we have been set free. And as we're going to see, it doesn't mean life is always easy and we always get our way. But there is this immense freedom that is offered to us in and through Jesus Christ to go out and to live and to love and to serve and to do things that we thought were never possible, that we would have been so bound up in ourselves apart from Jesus that we would never have been able to do those things. So many, many years ago, in the first church I ever served 
in Texas. As I served as an associate pastor there. Our senior pastor decided that he wanted our church to possibly go on a mission trip to Merida, Mexico. And it's kind of go into a vision trip and, and kind of see if that made sense. And so he asked Shannon and me to go on this trip with another trip that was traveling in from Louisiana, who'd been going for a number of years. Now, this is probably going to surprise you, because if you all know me, you know my heart for mission, and you know uh, how much I love to go and serve in different places and different countries and, and different regions. But at that point in my ministry and in my life, my wife was actually the real missionary. She was the one who was always willing to go wherever God might call us. So when my, my, my senior pastor asked us to do that, I was reticent. I was like, you know, we're already doing a, a border trip down to Reynosa, which is on the, the border of McAllen and in Texas and Reynosa in Mexico. And, and I really didn't see the need to go into the Yucatan and explore this opportunity uh, for a new mission trip. But, but he kind of persisted, and, and, and I, I agreed. But you have to know, I, I was reluctant, and I was scared. I, I really hadn't ever done anything like this. So we made our reservations. We flew into Merida. The church we were meeting up with, they were, uh, they were coming in later than us. And so the, the missionary that we would actually be uh, working with there in Mexico, I picked Shannon and me up at the airport and drove us through Merida and took us to the convent, which is where we were staying uh, with, on our trip. And, and, and we unloaded our luggage and we walked into the room where we were going to be staying. And, and I said, um, there were no beds. So I said, well, where do we sleep? And uh, he pointed to hammocks, and he said, oh, you sleep in a hammock. He said, unless you want the rats and the scorpions to crawl over you at night, you need to sleep in a hammock. And I was like, whoa, 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 no one told me about sleeping in a hammock, and you, I could feel the anxiety rising. And I looked at the size of the hammocks, and I'm like, I'm a big dude, and, and that's a really small hammock, and, and I don't know how that's going to work out. And, and he said, well, this is, where, this is where you're going to sleep. And then he said, but I want you guys to go and have some dinner because they're not cooking tonight at the convent, and, and so I'm going to drop you off. I'm going to drive you downtown into Merida and drop you off, and then you guys can just walk back to the convent, to the place where you're going to stay. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. what do you mean walk back? This is a brand new city. I barely speak any Spanish, and, and you're just going to drop us here, and we're going to go find a place to eat. And, 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 and going and eating made me nervous because I was so like paranoid that I was going to drink the water or eat some ice or have some soup. I mean, I had all these preconceived notions of like, this is going to be terrible and this is going to be awful. And, and, and I had this anxiety and this kind of dread. And I know you're surprised by that, but it's true. I really did because I'd never done anything like that before. But I look back on that week and it changed me. The conversations we had with people in Merida as we were laying block and carrying really big, heavy pallet, heavy big bags of, of cement as we were mixing concrete, as we were trying to be creative about how to build this, this three-story building that we were building. And I have to tell you, I was exhausted. I don't think I've ever worked that hard on a mission trip in my entire life. And I know people are laughing, if you know me, that you just think I drive the van, and, and that's what I've graduated now to. I've graduated that now. But, but back then, I mean, I worked hard. But, but in those moments... God was doing something. God was setting my life on this brand new trajectory. God was saying, your life can be transformed if you will trust me. And the Apostle Paul is saying the same thing. He's saying, you have been set free. And I want you to hear that. Those of you who are listening and watching, hear this, that in Jesus Christ, 
You are set free to do things that you could never have possibly done before, things that you would never have dreamed about before. Because God's Holy Spirit, that we'll talk a little bit more about next week, we'll talk about probably throughout this whole sermon series because there's lots of images of the Holy Spirit in here. God's Spirit lives in us. Verse 11. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, the Holy Spirit is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. God's greatest desire is to give you life. God has set you free. That's why the Apostle Paul says, there is now no condemnation in us because of Jesus Christ. Sin and death no longer reign. We have one who is on our side. We have one who is in our corner. We have one for when we go into the arena and when we go into the fight and when we go into the battle who is right there with us saying, I am with you. And you are victorious because I am with you. You have life and you have hope. When we say yes to Jesus, everything changes. We are assured that God is on our side. And I love the movie, The Shawshank Redemption. And there's this great line in that movie where Andy Dufresne says, look, Either get busy living or get busy dying. And honestly, I say let's get, let's get busy living. Because that's what's offered to us in and through Jesus Christ. Death and dying has been taken care of because of the cross. Because Christ gave his life for us. So let's get busy living. And here's where I want to end. If we have been set free, which we are told in Romans chapter 8, verse 2, if we have been set free, what have we been set free for? Because we experience this freedom. What is it that we have been chosen to do? What is it that we are set free for? Because in Jesus Christ, what happens is we get unstuck. Sin doesn't have the last word. Death does not have the last word. Life has the last word. An abundant life. An abundant life that is filled with the Holy Spirit. So my friends, how can we get busy living? What is it that you have been set free to go and to do and to trust Jesus as you make your way. Pray with me, please. God, thank you that you have set us free. Thank you that, that what we could not do for ourselves, you have done. Lord, you, you got up on the cross for us. You undid the death and the sin and the despair that was a part of the story of our lives. We have been set free. And Lord, let us use that freedom wisely. Let us live winsomely with a faith that, that points to you. Let people see Jesus in our words and in our actions. Help us to get busy living. We ask and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.